This episode is brought to you by Borderless. Paying and managing remote workers can be a difficult task for companies. With the shift to remote work, companies are hiring talent from all over the world. But once they bring on that engineer from Turkey or Mexico, they quickly realize the challenges of paying them on on an ongoing basis and managing them effectively. There are various issues that companies have to tackle, such as foreign exchange fees, delays in cross-border payments, managing invoices, and trying to stay compliant with local laws. These complications can cause headaches and wasted time for companies as they have to navigate a complex and ever-changing landscape of regulations and compliance. The process of paying and managing remote workers can be time-consuming, costly, and difficult to keep up with. It can also be a major distraction from the company's core business operations. That's where Borderless comes in. Their extensive experience in worker payments and contractor management has simplified this process for companies. They take away all the complexity of managing international contractors, allowing companies to put their contractor or employee on their platform and handle everything else. They take care of paying global workers and drafting local compliant contracts so companies can focus on what they do best. They also include the communication, task management, and compliance. And the best part? Borderless offers real-time payment to contractors in over 150 countries across the world, allowing contractors to access their funds quickly and easily. Their SaaS business model offers competitive pricing with a monthly fee of $39 per contractor or $399 per employee. Don't let managing remote workers hold you back any longer. Let Look Borderless be your global workforce management solution at HireBorderless.com. That's HireBorderless.com. Hello and welcome everyone. I am Evan McCann and this is The Hard Part. This show is a deep dive into the strategies, founding stories, and behind-the-scenes insights from Canada's top founders, investors, and leaders. My guest today is Cato Pastel. Cato is the CEO and co-founder of Loop. Loop offers tailor-made products including Canadian US dollar corporate cards, interest-free spending, corporate-level purchasing power, no-fee global payments, accessible growth capital, and real U.S. dollar accounts to help online businesses grow. In this episode, we discuss the pivot from Lending Loop to Loop as it is today, why word of mouth is one of their fastest-growing channels, why caring about your customers is the ultimate flywheel, and where we need changes in Canadian banking regulations. Please enjoy my conversation with Cato Pastol. I noticed you were doing shift CRM while you, while you were at school. It looked like it was a similar time frame. Is is that correct? And I guess you know what was shift CRM, and, and you know uh, was that in conjunction with uh, Western? I'll kind of maybe backtrack a little bit than that and tell you, like I've pretty much been working my entire uh, life all the way from childhood. Uh, my parents are both small business owners, so I grew up working in their businesses uh, as a child. Um, my dad was a dentist. They used to work practice. My mom was a caterer. So I used to 
do everything from, you know, working in the kitchen to weight staffing to doing her accounting and her books as I got older and started to, to develop a passion with finance. So, you know, I've pretty much been working for, for as long as I can remember. Um, Schiff was no exception. You definitely spotted that correctly. Um, I went to university here in Canada. I actually grew up in the UK originally, so I'm from London. I moved to Canada just before university, did university here. And, and through that, I was working um, part slash full time through different phases of, of, I guess, the kind of university experience. Um, with Shift, uh, I actually started there when they were a relatively small team. So I was employee number six or, or seven there. So, so it was one of the first people that joined and uh, was actually with them as they scaled up to over 50 people uh, as well and kind of took on a various kind of different roles and different responsibilities during that time. So it was a, a great kind of first formative professional experience and so to speak, where I was actually technically an employee and not just someone working on the side uh, for, for my business. What was that experience like, you know, being a very early employee at a startup, you know, while doing school? You know, I, I haven't really encountered anyone doing that. So I guess, like, what was that experience like? And, you know, and especially doing that so early in your career, right? Like a lot of people might do that like after university or they might do a job and then they jump into that. What, what do you think the advantage was kind of doing that so early on? I often say to people, I don't know whether it's just fully true or not, but I often say like, you know, I feel like my journey with entrepreneurship started like I felt like I was ready probably before I went to university to start a business. Um, I've always had this appetite and itch for wanting to create value and build things. Um, and so like working in that business, um, was something that, you know, kind of scratched that itch, so to speak, like where I actually got to get exposure to a company where I got to see all different sides of things. Um, I interviewed for a role at a large consulting firm and like pretty much at the second interview, I was like, why am I doing this? Like, there's no way that this is like the right fit for me and my personality. So you know, th that experience was awesome because I got to kind of like the reason I wanted to do it is I wanted to actually see what it was like building a company. And the other cool thing about Ship is they actually, you know, because they were a consulting type of company, they, they actually worked with a lot of different businesses. So I also got to see how a lot of different the clients' businesses operated, um, some of which were in, in different industries, including financial services. Um, and that was a really great experience for me to actually like go and see the inside of how businesses operated because you know, there's a, there's a, pretty big leap from like side hustle, you know, making, making money on the side by, you know, like sell, selling widgets or whatnot through to uh, like actually starting a formal business. And so that definitely gave me a lot of like know-how and confidence seeing both how that business is operated, that business operated as well as like the clients operated. So it's definitely a very important thing I would say for me to kind of have gone through that experience and actually see, you know, firsthand what, what running business is like. With Lending Loop, where did that idea come from? Obviously, you stayed at, at Shift for a few years. You know, was this, did this start as a side hustle? You had something or just ideas? I, I'm always curious of like how that initial idea starts, like where did it get sparked and, and did that kind of overlap with Shift at all? Yeah, the Shift team was actually great. They, they like helped me uh, at the beginning get, get things going. Um, I was always clear about like my, my end dollar ambition was to start my business eventually. And so, um, yeah, like kind of towards the latter part of my time at Shift, I started working on on the nights and weekends to try to get it off the ground. 
until it was at a point in time where it was mature enough for it, where I could go and work full time. So yeah, w- the reason behind uh, you know, why why we decided to embark on the journey of building lending really dates back to my origin story, so to speak, of like being the, the child of two small business owners. Um, that really made me understand and have an appreciation for how hard it is to build and run a small business. Um, and part of that really comes down to financial services and the lack thereof of financial services. I think like it's often talked about by lots of people that small businesses don't have good access to things like loans or capital to build their business. Um, and we kind of throw that around as something that's just like a matter of fact, but that's a really critical and important part of a functioning economy. Um, I studied economics in, in university. So like that was an- another kind of piece of the puzzle of the story there. But, you know, that to me was like something that was very clearly broken, which was as a small business owner and you're creating value, you're building a good business. Why is there not an easier way to get it, to get access to capital? And so the idea for Lending Loop was to try to solve for that in some way by creating a better way for small businesses to get access to capital, like when they were running their businesses. Because the observation I had or the thing that I, I realized over time is they actually have to rely on sources like family and friends to get capital to to build their business. But not everyone is in the position or is fortunate enough to be able to get that type of capital to go and build a company, right? So, you know, that that was definitely like kind of a sore spot that I saw firsthand and wanted to try to solve for. And that was kind of the origin behind it. Can you talk me through a bit of like what lending loop, like what that process looked like? You mentioned friends and family. I'm assuming, you, you know, with a small medium business, like you could potentially go to like a bank or, you know, depending on your credit and all these different factors. But I guess what kind of made lending loop unique? The original idea was exactly to kind of to take that idea online in the sense of like, people can go and network and find people who are willing to lend the money help them build a business but that's predicated on your network or your community or where you grew up and and that shouldn't be the case so the original idea actually behind it was like what if we created like an online marketplace this is kind of back at the time when marketplaces were were, uh you know very popular and 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 there was a lot of kind of marketplaces both financial and non-financial that were a lot of traction so like what if we could create a way where people like yourself and myself could actually let's say we had some extra cash and we wanted to invest it Rather than investing in faceless companies, we can actually invest in businesses. And so that was kind of the initial idea and impetus for starting Lending Loop was to create a more effective way for businesses to investors who would want to lend them money. And love to learn a bit more about, you know, where Loop is today, Loop Financial, you know, would you consider that a pivot? Was that like a complete change of business? Uh, very curious to learn more about, you know, what happened there with that shift and, and like what loop is as of now. The definitely best way to describe it is a pivot. Um, now we're still in the financial services space. We still support small businesses as our core mission. So your vision and mission has not changed, but product definitely has um, quite substantially. And I'll just kind of try to walk you through a little bit of the story as to how we end up getting to where we are today. What we realized and learned is that lending is actually a very transaction-based business. Um, it's, it's like many brokerage businesses where 
you originate a transaction being a loan. Uh, you earn some money on the point of origination, and then that's kind of the extent of your customer relationship. It's hard to create value. It's hard to use technology to create value. It's hard to embed yourself into a deeper customer relationship. And going back to the origin again, like what we really wanted to do fundamentally is actually help business owners in their day-to-day lives with more than just like, hey, when you need money at a point in time, come and, come and work with us. We wanted to actually build something that helped people run and operate their company. And so the evolution happened as a result of basically just talking to many different business owners and entrepreneurs, some of which were using our products, some of which were understanding what were the key pain points and how could we build a platform? How could we use technology to solve things that they encounter in their everyday lives? Because capital is part of the solution, but it's not the entirety of the solution. And so like that was definitely a big realization and learning point for us. A lot of great things as well that we took away from that experience. So, um, you know, I think we did an, a lot of good with lending. We actually lent over $100 million to small businesses. So I, I think we hopefully left somewhat of an impact on on the businesses that we work with. But I think the, the next step in our journey, we realized a couple of years ago, kind of in 2020, was we need to kind of take the business to the next level. And the way that we should do that is by building something that is an actual software solution that companies can use as opposed to purely just capital provider, capital provider. Can you talk me through a bit about, you know, whether you want to call it like mental, you know, uh, you know, like that mental focus or like that shift, right? So like you're going down this one avenue and you're, you're building this business and, you know, like a pivot, we can always talk about like strategic reasons and changes, but what about from like that mentality of like, Hey, I was building this business and now I have to build this business or accepting like, Hey, maybe this idea is better than my original idea. Can you talk me through that? Was that hard for you? Maybe it wasn't. Uh, but I always find like that kind of mental side of things really interesting to ch- chat about. No, it's incredibly hard. Um, and it's hard to put that into words in 60 seconds. Um, you know, the, the process of investing, you know, blood, sweat and tears into building something um, and you build a deep passion for that. And then going through the process of realizing that, like, you know, to, to create real value, you maybe need to scrap parts of it is definitely hard. But that is what's required to be successful in a business environment. You have to focus on the things that are going to create the most value and you have to turn away from and turn down opportunities that are not to drive a business forward. And, you know, I'm oversimplifying because of the amount of time that I'm using to describe uh, that pivot. But it was, you know, months, years of learning, um, understanding our business, understanding our customer, understanding where the value was in the market, where the long-term potential of the company could be, what could the long-term enterprise value of the business could be, where is, where is the value that we were going to create um, for businesses in the community. And as we kind of went deeper and deeper into that, it made, became more obvious that uh, a more sharp turn was required in order for us to hit our end goal, right? And there's different ways that you pivot. Some businesses are able to kind of tack on addition, additional strategies or business lines until you find your way in the new direction. We tried to kind of do that, like kind of run the existing business and run the new one in parallel, which we did like semi-effectively. 
Um, but it was not by any means an easy thing to do. It was, it was definitely the hardest period in the company's existence, I would say, um, just from like a team and a morale perspective is it's very hard to get a group of people that have been going in this direction to all of a sudden turn 180 degrees. So again, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think even that explanation doesn't do a complete justice, but at the end of the day, you know, we obviously take um, positive feelings from the fact that it was the right decision. And I think ultimately, you know, we're now, we're now thankfully seeing the fruits of that, but it was definitely not, not an easy transition to go through. When you take a look at, you know, where Loop is now kind of focused on that banking, especially with SMBs, um, I guess, you know, what was that angle like when you were looking at the business, you know, when most kind of fintech banking products were like consumer focused, that was all the rage, you know, why that B2B angle? And I guess, why do you think, you know, whether you think the big five or might be credit unions or whatever kind of what relationship people have as a bank in Canada as a business, why do you think there was like a gap there? Like, why do you think SMBs are underserved? So why SMB really is about being mission and purpose driven as a business, right? Like um, you could definitely make an argument that consumer is a larger market, perhaps consumer is you know, easier to tap into from a user acquisition perspective. But for us, it's really about what is the impact and gap in the market? And I think that I, I definitely have personally experienced my own journey and my journeys that banking is much more broken for businesses than it is for, for individuals, right? So in terms of trying to solve a pain point that people have, you know, small business owners are probably the, the last afterthought of most financial services providers in most places and then can't. So yeah, with that said, you know, the reason that we decided to focus on, you know, SMBs was really about like, how does our business make it? impact in the everyday lives of entrepreneurs, small business owners, and people who are investing their time and energy into building businesses because it's such an important part of the economy, our ecosystem. And we felt like that, you know, is is the place that we want to invest our time because it's also, you know, a personal investment to, to go and build that. Um, in terms of touching a little bit on like the financial services aspect of things, like why, you know, why who do businesses use today and why are they not effective? But basically, the short answer is that like banks and credit unions um, have diverged their strategy into consumer and enterprise. And so there is a consumer strategy that works and there's an enterprise strategy that works. And small business is this weird thing in the middle that that some at some banks, it's on the enterprise team and on the some some banks, it's on the consumer team. And it's basically the afterthought for whichever team it's on. If it's on the consumer team, it's it's not really cared about because they're like, hey, we're consumer focused, but hey, we'll do a little bit of small business. If you're on the the commercial large enterprise banking team, same thing. It's like, why would we do, you know, a one million dollar deal when we could do a one hundred million dollar deal with the same amount of effort and energy? So because of that, you know, small business at all financial institutions has become basically this just default, and that has resulted in a huge lack of service. So you know, when you look at the access to financial services that small businesses have a great deal behind the other parts of you know the, the certain customer banks but it's also just a great deal behind the times that we live in today like there are if you talk to small business owners they still have to do crazy things like go into a bank branch to send a payment 
um, or deposit a check from a, from a customer. Um, it's almost impossible for many people to get accounts or credit cards in different currencies, which is something that's a basic need for small business owners. And like, it's actually easier with some banks to get a consumer US dollar credit card than it is to get a business US dollar credit card. So things like that, that are just like, you would think are so basic to offer, but they're not offered by by big banks. Again, because of that structural issue of small businesses being thought as a customer segment of banks. You kind of touched on there a little bit of, you know, okay, these are the main pain points of SMBs, but how do you extract like pain points and then obviously prioritize, you know, what's the product look like? You know, what features are we going to launch with first? What makes the biggest impact? Just love to learn a bit more about that kind of product journey, either initially and kind of as you grow, how do you determine, okay, this is the next thing we're going to do? Uh, does it come down to, you know, are you just able to build it, you know, regulatory or, you know, is it the established banking partners we need to work with to have this happen? I guess there's a lot of things going on there. It's maybe a big question, but, you know, wh what are some basics, I guess? It's a big question because depending on the service you want to offer, there's many different like kind of ways or partners or things that you can do to offer it. You know, we were also in a really interesting position going back to Pivot um, because we actually had a lot of regulatory setup licenses and technology that we'd already built for for the lending loop business. And so that definitely accelerated our path in terms of the products that we were able to offer in terms of the licensing partnerships that we already had in place. So we actually got many products that we offer launch in really record time like we you know the, in some cases within weeks or a couple of months we were able to launch like you know totally revolutionary products for small businesses because of that position that that we had so we we definitely had some benefit there because of the the regulatory licensing and relationships that we had as a as a business that allowed us to catapult the product forward in terms of like how we decided what specifically to build um that really just comes down to a couple of things. One, the, you know, this sounds simple, but really getting data points from our customer segment that we work with and understanding what are the key pain points that they have, what are the most burning pain points that they have, and how do we solve for those particular fundamental issues. Um, so, you know, we learned that things like a credit card, just getting a business credit card is really hard for many small business owners. So, first product we launched was a business credit card, right? We learned that when you're operating a business, particularly in a digital space like software or e-commerce, or if you're running an agency, you're probably spending money in different currencies. Um, the, the average bank credit card charges 5.7% on foreign exchanges. So, you know, a significant amount of cost to basically just operate and spend money in another country. So we learned that. We then said, okay, let's build a credit card that has multi-currency built into it. So you eliminate the 5.7% fee off the get-go. So that that's kind of our process, which is like, what are the the list of issues that people have and what are the ones of the highest impact and, and highest priority as a way to prioritize that list? I'm curious, you know, that 5.7%, you know, like that's just one example of uh, fees that banks have. Is that needed for them to operate do they just charge that because they can is it just like some legacy thing or like some arbitrary decision by some some group of people i guess i'm most curious of like how these fees are determined and it's like do banks just charge them because they can i guess two-part answer to that like the first part of it is foreign exchange 
Inge is a massive profit center for banks with this customer base because the they, they deem the customer base is not sophisticated enough to, to know what they're paying in foreign exchange fees. So eff effectively, it's a form of like price gouging in a sense where they basically say like, hey, like we can we can charge 5.7% because we're embedding it into the transaction and unsophisticated user is not really going to know. So it, it's a great way for them to make money. They look at it as just like a way for them to drive up margin so that they can charge less on the other aspects of their business, right? So some credit cards actually only make money, like they're actually unprofitable on everything except for foreign exchange. So they basically will say like, we'll actually just lose money and everything else, but we'll drive a lot of profitability on, on foreign exchange part of the business. So that is one part of it. The second part is that there is definitely kind of because of that, a structural issue as well that they have, which, com which comes to kind of like legacy technology infrastructure. So even if uh, many financial institutions wanted to solve for that problem, they don't have the ability in the back end to actually be able to do that. Um, the way that their systems are architected around like their actual ledgers uh, make it really, really challenging for them to kind of recreate products and do things like multi-currency. Um, so that's why when you look at like bank systems that try to support multiple currencies, you're sometimes like logging into different UIs and different interfaces and platforms because the backends are so desperate, like they're so separate from one another. You you see this even with like Canadian banks that have bought U.S. entities that they now own a U.S. bank. They actually operate completely independently as financial institutions. So that is, is a structural issue. Um, that is pervasive across like the entirety of the way that banks operate. That's actually something I learned all the way back uh, in my shift days when I was kind of uh, working there, um, was doing some work with a financial institution down in the U.S. actually, and I saw just just how legacy some of their systems are that they used to operate. How do you think about growth? What works best for you? Is it like, you know, word of mouth, I'm sure is very powerful. But, you know, is there other places that you found that are, pretty effective and unique to get, you know, loop out there and, you know, get that in the hand of customers. Most of our growth has come through organic word of mouth with much more so than I actually would have initially expected. Um, when, when we can pivot it into this, this model of building kind of financial services for, for small businesses. Um, the I guess the the reason behind that is that we solve a couple of like such critical pain points for businesses. Like we've really built products that go kind of cut quite deep in terms of where people have a need. That I think business owners that run in smaller communities, for example, like e-commerce owners and business owners are are often part of similar networks. They go to similar events. They're, they're at the trade shows. You know, that creates a kind of viral nature to your product and the way that people engage with it and talk about it. So I think that has definitely been a really big spur behind us in terms of getting the word out about about Loop um, organically. And that's allowed us to kind of amass quite a, quite a significant user base with, with actually minimal marketing spend, which, which has been great um, in terms of getting the product off the ground. Um, I, I would say aside from that, um, you know, the one thing about financial services, it's an interesting market because organic is basically the best way you can get a customer because it's a high trust factor. If someone who's using our product tells another person using your product, hey, I'm using Loop, it's saving me so much time and money, you should check it out. Like that's that's pretty much the best stamp of approval you can get. The second best one is is kind of another referral, but through somebody that that, that, that company or founder trusts, right? So let's just say, you know, 
someone trusts you, Evan, like, hey, I had a great chat with the Lube team. You should check out their product. That is a high trust exercise that will like make that person more likely to convert. So we've tried to focus on strategies that are more, you know, referral person to person based or community based because that increases the trust factor, especially for somebody like us that's not known. We don't have a, you know, a 70 story building on Bay Street with our, our logo on it. So it's not as easy to to kind of be spotted out. But that, you know, direct one to one communication from people is what lets other founders and business owners know, hey, this is like a company that I can trust. I'm curious about like kind of like that flywheel. So like, obviously, the be- the best product experience drives like kind of word of mouth, and you get those referrals and you have that organic growth. I guess, you know, why do you think like big banks maybe don't have that? Like, you know, they have to give away like AirPods or something to open an account. Um, you know, I guess I'm just very interested in that acquisition piece, like that lifetime value of the customer. I guess, how, how do you think about that? And like, is that really, do you, do you really believe like, like the best product experience and word of mouth will kind of like overtake, you know, giving people AirPods? Okay. I would put it down to like one thing that's even more simpler than that, which is actually just about our customer, right? Like when our customers have an issue, they can pick up the phone and call me personally and I will get it resolved. For them. Like if somebody's trying to get onto the product or they're trying to send a payment, you know, we are there and that is our, that's our culture and that's our philosophy. So not just me, like everyone on our team has this approach of if a small business owner needs something, like care about it personally and go and, and solve this problem and block it. Because that is pretty much the opposite of the way that financial institutions operate. Like I have bit, you know, accounts with, with banks, like I'm on hold for hours and I have to talk to three different people. And, you know, like at the end of it, I'm still not sure if my issue is resolved. You know, that there's so much pain and frustration that comes from that experience. Like that's worth so much more than a pair of AirPods, um, especially to a business where this is like their livelihood. So I think, you know, what it comes down to is basically just caring deeply about our customer, about their problems and trying to always be there as a resource for them. You know, and even if, like whether we can help them directly by unblocking a payment or reaching out to their vendor for them and helping them get, you know, account details or whatever it is. Uh, or it's just referring them to somebody else or giving them advice on what they what they need. That is just a, a fundamentally different different approach, and it can scale like that. That that culture can scale. Like it's not about like the CEO of a bank being able to talk to the customer. It's about the culture of the people that are working there, caring about the people that they're working with, and and that's a structural issue that exists in banks, which is like small businesses are actually looked at as like the people that they shouldn't care about. And we want to flip that and say, we're focusing on small businesses. They are the most important customer. And we're going to build products that directly help them in their everyday lives. How a product is built, right? So you look at like foreign exchange or multi-currency accounts. Is that really like, hey, we're building like this UI and there's all these kind of legacy things that we need to plug into. I guess I'm very curious about what does that product look like? Are you building on top of other things? Are you like, building stuff from the ground up, I guess, how would you look at like maybe foreign exchange or multi-currency accounts? Like uh, how would you build those? I can give you the long technical answer to it, but I the way that I like to describe it is actually uh, Anthony, who's uh, who leads finance and, and kind of treasury here, described it as like, we take care of all the mess in the background. So our customers don't have to worry about it. So in the background, there's a lot of like moving pieces. There's a lot of uh, tape and glue 
pulling things together. But to the to the small business owner, everything looks magical when they go and do something, when they convert money, when they receive money into their account, when they send money to their vendors, when they pay their contractors, like all that stuff just works the way that you would expect it to work as a user. You log into one platform, you see everything in one place, and it all just kind of works like it's magic. In the background, because we're dealing with like legacy financial services and we're dealing with banks in different countries who operate on different payment systems, there is definitely a lot of things that we've had to do in terms of how we actually mechanically move money from one country to another, fast payments together and do all that funky stuff um, to make it work really well for the end user. And that's something, like I said, like, like banks don't do a particularly good job of that. They actually make you feel the pain in many cases of, uh, the, those kind of things that are broken about financial services. Cause the way, you know, the, the core infrastructure and payment infrastructure under the leaf financial services is not good. Like it's not, it's broken. That's obviously where you've seen like a lot of people in the crypto space trying to innovate and create new ways to initiate payments and, and all that. So our approach has been like, not let's not create an entirely new infrastructure. Let's exist. Let's exist within the confines of the infrastructure that exists today. But let's try to make magical for the user so they don't have to. That. Can we chat a bit about kind of banking partners for Loop? You know, how do you view, or or just you know, financial services in general it doesn't have to be banking, but and and I guess also just more broadly, just kind of. Like banking regulations you know there, there's all this talk about open banking it seems to keep getting delayed and delayed and delayed um so i guess you know just opening the conversation more to who do you have to partner with right now from a regulatory standpoint and and, and what are your thoughts on some of those regulations and maybe how we could see things change in the future so in some cases we have our own licenses to do things and in other cases we we rely on bank partners to be able to to offer the services that we have. So because we have several different products, each of those products is kind of operated mechanically in a different way. And sometimes it's even a different subsidiary entity of Loop. So Loop Financial is a company, you know, we have a company called Loop Payments Inc., which is our um our money services business. We have a, an Etsy called Loop Securities Inc., which is our securities dealer. Uh, we have an initial loop fund one, which is the credit facility provider. So we actually have different, you know, subsidiary entities, which are kind of regulated differently and have to operate either with different partners or under different regulatory setup um, to essentially try to create a service that looks like a bank. Now, in an in an in a better world, if I was like the person coming up with the regulation, um, I wouldn't do it that way. I would create, and this the UK has been quite good at doing this a single financial regulator that basically allows you this concept of a neobank or challenger bank. We don't have that in Canada. And so that's why, you know, us, and even if, if you look at like Wealthsimple, for example, who's obviously well-known in the consumer space, very similar kind of backend setup and infrastructure, which is like you've got either different bank partners or different entities that are regulated with appropriate regulators to, to, to put it all together. So again, you know, glue and tape that basically brings it all into into one single platform but in the back end a lot of things happening um and yeah we we, we rely on partner banks as well uh in many cases to do things like you know, holding deposits for example obviously we, we there's no structure today in canada that would allow us to hold our own deposits so we work with partner banks on that um in in both canada the us and the european market so you know we, we definitely have some partners that we've had to rely on to, to kind of get our service to be operational. 
Um, but, you know, what's important is, you know, building direct trust with the consumer or the user of the product that Loop is going to be able to solve their pain points and their problems. Like, that's what they care about. Like, they don't care about who's doing what and which regulator addresses which. Like, they obviously want to know that we're set up in a way that's legitimate, we're regulated, all that type of stuff. But beyond that, they just want to make sure that that money moves from point A to point B. That system that the UK has developed, you know, like obviously some huge successes over there with Monzo, Revolut, et cetera. Is that something that we could replicate fairly easily here in Canada? Is it more just kind of like a willingness to do that? Um, or is our kind of infrastructure just very different and, and, and almost makes that impossible? I've personally been in like fintech, so to speak, before it was called fintech for like 10 years. I've sat on more uh, committee meetings and something I would like to admit um, with federal governments, provincial governments. So I've done that with the you know, Bank of Canada, with the federal government, with the you know, Ontario government. There is just no, there's no uh, leadership that wants to take it in the direction um, of actually creating a better infrastructure to do this stuff. Um, so I, I met with some of the people in the UK, um, did this stuff, and that was back in like 2011, 2012, and they had a clear mint, like, let's go and create a new infrastructure that increases competition, decreases costs for the users, the, the small businesses and end consumers of these platforms, and let's actually go and, and shake up this industry. There is no appetite to do that. I'd say it's actually the inverse. There's, there's a, 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 a lot of embedded unwillingness within government here to do that type of stuff. So I'm not particularly optimistic about this prospect of that happening anytime soon in Canada, unfortunately, right? Like that could change. But right now, uh, I would say that th there's not a lot of kind of government appetite and willingness. And, and there's very few people even uh, within the, the either the, uh, the federal or provincial governments right now that have this as even something that's on the token blocks, which is why even something as simple as open bank, because it's actually open banking is way simpler than what I'm talking about. Like this is basically just like provisioning the access. Even that is not happening because there's just no no discussion, no dialogue, and no willingness to forward on on those those things. Unfortunately, and and ultimately, it's, it's people, it's businesses and consumers in Canada that that pay the price of that. Um, I think also there's a there's a risk in the future for you know new entrants that are non-Canadian-owned businesses to come to market here if we don't act upon those, uh, those kind of gaps from a, a You mentioned it a few times in our conversation, kind of that mission and vision and, you know, customers calling in and, you know, it's that, you know, mission of the company to pick up the phone, anyone, whether it's yourself and, and, and deal with problems. I guess... I'm always interested in the sense of, okay, this is the mission and vision we have. And how do you keep that authentic? How does that transfer its way through, you know, whether it's a, a customer support call or through the product, I guess, how do you keep that alignment from, okay, this might be a relatively easy thing to say, but then putting that into practice and also building that into a product or a service. It comes down to two, two things. One is prioritization and being clear on like prioritization and what is the priority across the what are you doing and what are you choosing to do because everything is also a choice and so if you if you want to have that type of a culture you have to be very intentional about the way that you build it you have to 
demonstrate across the entire organization what what that actually means to care about your customer and build products that that are focused on building or solving the customer point. So just to give you some examples, if you're building if you're doing some things on a product roadmap, are you going to be building the things that solve points for a customer? Or are they going to be going to be doing things increasing revenue today? Right. Um, sometimes you have to make those trade offs, and those decisions are things that everyone else in the organization sees and understands, and that you know that will have implications for how they act in the future. So I think that topic of prioritization is number one. The second one is really just on team and hiring, basically. Um, you know, I don't want to oversimplify that, but bringing in people that have that shared mission and, and value system uh, that the company has around supporting and helping entrepreneurs and small businesses is critical to having that as a culture within the business, right? And so that's something that I've, I've yeah, I'm definitely still learning a lot on, but I, I've definitely gotten better at over the years, which is making sure that you you bring in people that have that aligned value set and actually do want to make a, a meaningful change and care about making financial services better for small business. Um, mercenaries don't work particularly well in this environment, right? That's just that's just the the reality and the truth um, of building a company. Um, so yeah, I mean th- those are the two two main areas I would say that that drive that and and are actually tangible. What do you think about future growth? You know, whether you look at it from like a geographical perspective, you know, is there different regulations or growth like across Canada? Um, and, you know, is US, UK, are those attractive markets or is it really just, hey, like let's nail Canada, SMB, and then like let's look at growth at a later time? Our ambitions to be global. Um, so, so maybe taking a quick step back, like our, our thesis on essentially the entire space is that, you know, business is global, banking should also be global, and today it's not. So just to articulate that, if you're a company and you operate a business internationally today, um, you have to basically get local entities and local bank accounts and deal with local regulation to do business in each of those markets. I, I believe strongly that those walls and barriers are just going to continue to erode over time and it's going to be easier and easier to do business around the world. Um, and so that means that there also needs to be banking infrastructure, payment infrastructure to enable business around the world more seamlessly. So the vision for what we're building is essentially global version of what a bank is today. Uh, we're trying to create a way that people can manage their money across all the countries and currencies that they do business in in one single place. And that means supporting more countries and currencies for Canadian businesses, but it also means supporting the same thing for businesses that are in other countries and currencies. So you know, that will be a you know, long journey of, of to grow and expand our product. But our, our goal is definitely to be a global business. I'd love to jump into the quick fire round and would love to know your favorite book. And if that's a difficult decision, then just maybe something you're currently reading or have read recently. Favorite book at the moment uh, is Hard Thing About Hard Things uh, by Ben Horowitz. Uh, I think it like so perfectly. The story is amazing and the way that he takes the story and translates it into like real actionable things that you do when building a startup or managing a business. 
um, is done in, in a really great and engaging way. So that would be my number one. Um, I'll also throw a, a quick number two in, which is that there's a book called The High Growth Handbook, which is literally a handbook written by Eli Gill on um, basically building a business. And it's it's not as entertaining, I would say, but very functional as well, uh, especially if you're you know, new to something. Those are some great ones. What are you most excited about in the next year personally as well as professionally? Personally, um, I'll start there. I'm I'm going on my honeymoon. I got married uh, in the last year, and so my honeymoon. That's so that's an easy one that I'm looking forward to. I think it'll be like one of the longest trips I've, I've taken since starting the business. So um, that that's definitely a big personal one for me. Um, professionally, you know, seeing Luke uh, be, continue to become the core infrastructure for the companies that we work with is something that is really amazing to see. And and just to expand on that, what I mean is, you know, when we start, first started building products under Luke and with this new mission and direction, a lot of them were, you know, additional bolt-ons to the way that companies do business. So for example, you're already doing your banking with, you know, whoever you bank with. Um, and then, you know, Luke can help you with credit cards or can help you with payments or can help you with FX. And what we're really trying to do is just become that central hub of the company's operations so as a founder you can just log into loop and basically everything you need to do in one place and we've made a huge amount of progress already this year the rest of this year is going to be really about like solidifying that so that loop can truly eliminate the need to use you know six to ten different services to run your business um so you can basically just log into loop and do everything that you need to bank globally in one place and last question before i open up the mic to you would be how do you deal with hard times being a founder is challenging, you know, do you use fitness, do you use meditation, or do you kind of have your own framework or things that work for you? Um, I think it changes over time. You know, as you go through different cycles, um, right, they, the, 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 the tactics that you employ to overcome hard times are, are different. I mean, for me, if I could put it into just one about logging. So, you know, when... Even if you leave work at 11 p.m. at night, just being able to actually like have some method of if it's going for a walk, if it's going to work out, if it's going for a dinner, just like do something to actually unplug yourself from thinking about your business because you are, you naturally will think about your business 24 seven. Like you'll probably dream about your business, right? As a as a founder. so you know doing doing things you know whatever they are for you and whatever works at that point time to just detach yourself mentally for those periods of time because otherwise like the stress of it will just continue to wear on you and so that's been something that that has worked for me and like i said there's been different ways i've done that over time um but being able to just have those moments where you actually just truly don't think about what's happening in the business even if it's for a few hours will give you that energy that you need the next day to to go and grind and, and build things i love that and yeah, that's the last question I had. So I'd love to open up the mic to you and chat about anything, chat about where people can find Loop. And obviously we'll link everything in the description that you mentioned. Yeah, so we actually have just launched a brand new domain. Um, our, our now egg on loop.com. Um, and so historically we had getloop.ca. You could, you could still find us there, but you know the, the idea of switching from the old one to bank on loop is we want people to know that a we're global 
and we, we are good, our ambition as a business is to to be international and two more importantly that they can bank on us right um as i said before our mission our culture is driven around people being able to depend on us and knowing that we are a reliable provider or the most reliable provider when it comes to helping them manage their business finances and so Hence why we decided to to update our, our domain and, and our branding as well uh, to reflect that. So that's been an exciting, very recent change that we've made um, to uh, to the business. And um, we've also launched a, a kind of full suite of new products recently to help companies uh, manage their finances internationally. So uh, we have global accounts. Uh, we have a credit card product so you can get credit cards with much higher credit limits and up to 55 days of interest-free spending to help companies with working capital. We do things like purchase order financing, so companies need capital for inventory as they're scaling up. That's also another thing that we can support with. Um, and then we also have launched amazing features around payments, like accounts payable. The, all of that is integrated into accounting systems. Uh, we've launched accounts receivable recently, so people can build customers in different countries. That's another thing that we learned recently is a big pain point. For example, if you're a Canadian business, just being able to collect money in the U.S. is not easy. So, you know, think of us as the place that if you need to get paid or make payments anywhere in the world, you should be able to depend on us to help you do that. Um, and so, yeah, check out check out our new site uh, at bankonleap.com. And if there's something payment or money related that we don't do that you'd like for your business, um, send me a note. Uh, I'm happy to take, take emails personally. My email is Kato.pastel, um, bank on. Kato, this has been a great conversation. I can really feel like that passion behind what you're doing and like the focus on that kind of founder and SMB and just really insightful conversation. I appreciate you spending some time with me today. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks for the questions. Uh, I think it was, it was a really audit as well. So yeah, thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed this episode feel free to subscribe share with friends and reach out with guest suggestions make sure to follow me on twitter linkedin and subscribe to our newsletter on substack to keep up to date